What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's conversation is with Isaac Moganum, or the plant-based hacker as he's known on Instagram. Having worked at his family's gourmet restaurant right out of college, Isaac soon realized he had a passion for food, community, and building a sustainable world for humans and animals alike. This passion put him on the pursuit to help other people make better food choices and start integrating plant-based food into their lifestyles. It wasn't all peaches and cream for him though. Isaac reached some extremely low points during his journey, even living out of his car for a short time. Fortunately, he was able to overcome those low points and today is able to continue his mission of creating a plant-based world through the products and services he continues to spearhead. This episode has some motivation, tips and tricks, and a ton of laughs in it, and I'm happy you get to be a part of it. So here's episode 101 with Isaac Moganum. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another Thrive on Life podcast. Thank you for tuning in. It is Motivation Monday, and today I started off my day with a mental health men's morning. A lot of M's there. <laughs> um, but we, uh, yeah, we kicked it off at Squatch Frontier Fitness here in Austin, Texas, and did some breath work. Shout out to my buddy, Dr. Andy in Minneapolis. And then we went into sauna and ice. So we kicked off the morning in a very good way. And that set me up for this awesome conversation I'm about to have with one of my friends here in Austin, Texas. He's probably one of the funniest guys I've known, and he shines a very bright light here in the community. Mr. Isaac Moganum. How are you doing today, Isaac? I'm amazing. Thank you for asking. I feel great. It's great to be here. Hell yeah. And Isaac is known as the plant-based hacker here in Austin. He's a vegan and he's super into helping other people learn more about veganism and essentially makes banging ass food. I see your Instagram all the time. We'll get into that a little bit later. Something that I wanted to start off with though is we were talking prior to hopping onto the podcast about houses and the real estate market here and how Isaac is about to close on his house, which is super awesome. Um, but also the story of how he was living in his car just four years ago. So I'd love to kick it off and give some motivation to those out there that a lot can change in a little bit of time. And yeah, wherever you want to take this, um, feel free. But I'd love to learn a little bit more about that story and how you kind of went from being in a car to where you're at now. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I mean, life's a trip, man. Like life's got a really wicked sense of humor. Let me just start there. Sometimes you just never know how life turns out to be. I never really graduated from college thinking that I'd be a straight up broke ass hoe at 37 years old with <laughs> literally not, not a dollar to my pocket. I mean, I remember being on South Lamar and I couldn't, I tried to buy a cliff bar and my car got declined and I just sat on the curb and I was just like so broken and I had to call my dad and ask him to borrow 500 bucks. And thankfully my dad was like, son, I'm gonna help you out, but uh, you know, you're 37 years old, like let's go. And so uh, originally I was, I've been in Austin seven years. I did a bunch of drugs like four years ago at ACL with my high school friends and for whatever fucked up reason, they encouraged me to like move back home. And so I got in my fields, I got out of my luxury apartment, I moved back home. Well, I only lasted there. Where's home? Uh, San Francisco. Okay. I lasted there about three and a half months 
I basically moved in with my brother. He was having some mental health issues and it just, it didn't click. It, it wasn't working. And I was like mentally and financially broken. And I got to the point where I was living with my brother, you know, he ended up like kicking me out of his place. And in San Francisco, it's like, you can't just move into a place with a dog and a cat and like 2,500 bucks in your account or whatever it was. So the short end of it is I was never homeless under a bridge. I wasn't sleeping in cardboard boxes, but I was legit homeless. I had nowhere to go. And so I was in my car at a strip mall. I tried calling as many friends as I could. And one of them was remodeling, staying. All these like weird things were in a spot where my best friends felt so bad. They wanted to help me and they just couldn't. And I was just like, the universe is trying to tell me something. I don't know what, but I got to just sit in here and feel it. And thankfully, my uncle and my grandma were like, listen, come by, reset yourself. And, you know, we'll help you get back on your feet. And I was like, I want to go back to Austin. This is bullshit. And so my, I made my way back. But I came back to Austin, I mean, really broke. In fact, my uncle drove with me back from San Francisco. And it, it honestly, it was like, I felt a lot of shame and just embarrassment for a couple of reasons. It's like I made this huge party of like leaving Austin and going back home and being welcomed to San Francisco and then had to face the embarrassment that I couldn't even make it in my own town anymore and I had to say goodbye to everybody again and then move back to Austin I mean really like a broke-ass bitch not just like financially but like mentally spiritually and I didn't even have a place until I got to Sedona I looked online and I found an apartment like in Onion Creek and it was like 400 bucks down two months free and I moved there you know I was I didn't even see it I was just like I'll take it and so that was in 2017, in March of 2017. And so that whole three-month experiment of moving home, like, it was really fucked up, but all that shit had to happen for me to, like, get where I am now. And so I think it's important for people to realize that, you know, things don't really happen to us. They happen for us. And when we're in the middle of the shit, it's kind of hard to see and try to make sense of, like, why fucked up shit's going on. But Eventually, if you go far enough deep into like the time space continuum, the rearview mirror really becomes more and more 2020 as, as you get deeper into like your cosmic journey. So anyways, I moved back to Austin. I met an amazing man that we both know named Jason Sabala, who, by the way, I knew before I left Austin. He was like one of my closest friends before I moved back to San Francisco. He didn't think it was a good move. By the way, Jason, you were right. <laughs> Note to self. And that poor bastard, I'd call him from San Francisco, and I'm like, I'm nothing here. I'm a nobody. So when I came back, he helped me get on my feet. He gave me a job. He put some money in my pocket. He really helped me out. And uh, eventually, like, one thing led to another, and I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of cross that path. But that was, like, the rock bottom four years ago. And now I'm in a position where we've, you know, we've built a brand and a business that's allowed me a lot of opportunities to help others and help myself in a way where I never even thought I might be having an opportunity to buy my own house. And here we are. Heck yeah. You mentioned something there, a word that I, I think doesn't get thrown around much, but I think everybody deals with it. And on this podcast, we like try to relate as much as we can uh, to people on the other end that are listening right now. And the word shame and how a lot of people in their lives have dealt with shame and being ashamed of who they are, why they're that way, or things they've done or things they haven't done. And I'd love to know a little bit of your psyche of, okay, you felt that shame. What were some of the actions you took to get out of it though? Because I feel like a lot of people go down a wormhole, like they feel the shame and then like 
it's years and years of feeling that and they either never escape it or they seem to have kind of a comeback story. And I want to have more people that have more comeback stories. So for you, what was that like? I think for me, I mean, like I felt really ashamed and I just felt really, you know, broke and broken. And I, I kind of had to sit there and like lick my wounds for a little bit. But my personality type is just like, I'm just like a fighter. I'm a Clar. You know what I mean? I'm like, you know. What does that look like practically? Like I, in a day-to-day basis? I think, you know, it's just originally like, for example, like being really broke and being really ashamed. Like it means sometimes you have to take on opportunities that might not be like mm-hmm. most ideal. And I can give you an example at the time. Um, Jason was building a business that was like really struggling at the time and he still found a way to make room for me. And at the time, I think he was paying me like four or 500 bucks a week and I was driving 26 miles to San Marcos, like in the kitchen, cooking all day, consulting, revamping the menu, driving 26 miles back to my house. I did that every day for like six months. And I'm so incredibly appreciative that he was even able at the time to make that kind of room for me. But that's asking a lot for like a hundred bucks a day. And I did it because it was the one thing I had in front of me. I loved working with Jason, but ultimately I just realized like, I'm going to have to do some stuff that I don't want to say the quote that I'm above it or that it's just stuff that like, maybe is not something I really envisioned myself doing. I love the work, but sometimes you just got to suck dick in life when you don't want to. That's just like the bottom (laughs) line, honestly. It's like uh, the way that I quit is reducing, lowering your ego, like going two steps back to go five steps forward, That's 10 exact, steps forward, That's 20 literally steps forward. exactly what it was. Yeah. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs know what that is because even like, even when you're a mil- multi-million dollar entrepreneur, you're probably doing some things to become the multi-million, hundred million entrepreneur. You're doing things that other people won't do. You're The way that I equate it is like first one there, last one out. And when you're the first one there, last one out, you're cleaning the toilets and throwing out the trash and doing things that most people don't want to do. So I I understand that world and it it relates heavy to me because in college, like what I would do is a lot of my friends would, they would all get their apartments and, and their own rooms and they would pay extra for it or take on debt essentially to have their own dorm room or their own apartment room. Dude, I was sleeping on, you see the, the couch you're on right now? Like, that's like a futon type of bed where you just like, if you click it out, it'll, it'll fold out. That was my bed. And then you see how underneath I have like the printer under this one, my clothes were in uh, plastic bins underneath that. And then I had like, just like here in the studio where there's books right there, that's where I kept my computer and everything. So like my room was this in somebody's living room and their front door like was right. The front door was where that sink is. So I had absolutely no privacy. They would just walk right in no matter what, no matter what was going on. And like the thing with college is like people come in late or, or early or different things. So like sleep was not ideal, but I was saving probably 500 a month just by doing that. And in my head, I was telling myself kind of the same thing. It's just like, I'm going to take this two steps back so that I can travel or do things uh, during the summer or things like that. So that, that relates heavy. Um, it's not like sleeping in your car though. I do want to ask where in like when somebody sleeps in a car like you you have you're at that level what's the thought process of like where i'm gonna park and this is like going really into the weeds here but like i thought about that before i'm just like if if life got so bad and you only have like this one little thing that's keeping you afloat there's so many little things that you have to deal with like where do you shower where do you 
get water? Where do you park the car so that nobody disturbs you? Like what was going through your head at that time? So uh, thankfully, I mean, I didn't have to sleep in my car officially. Like I set my car up to, and I threw all my distress calls out there and my uncle like was the only one who could reasonably come through for me and saved me. But I basically had everything set up where I was sleeping in a strip mall at a 24 hour Lucky's. That's like uh, H-E-B of the West coast. Let's call it or Kroger's. It was 24 hours. I could go in there and use the restroom. And then I had a 24 hours gym membership. So the biggest issue at the time was like, you know, in San Francisco, it was like, how do I leave this giant wolf in the car? Cause you know, yeah. motherfuckers are crazy in San Francisco. This street, it's like, they'll dog nap your shit, you know? So for me, that was like a lot of anxiety. I had everything kind of planned out the best I could, but thankfully I didn't actually have to officially spend a night in my car. I came like really close to the fire, but I mean, I was essentially homeless, but I had a plan and I know it wasn't a perfect plan. And, um, you know, thankfully I didn't have to put it to use, but really it's like 24 hour fitness. Um, like here, I know, like I learned after going through all this shit that Walmart actually is a safe place for people to spend overnight in their parking lots. They keep all the lights on. It's like a thing they're pretty known for, for people who travel across country. So if you're ever stuck or you can't find a place to stay there, like it's a pretty welcome spot to go to any Walmart parking lot. Problem is they don't have those in San Francisco. So that was kind of like the game plan. And I, I was lucky enough to get saved out of that, thankfully. Yeah. And you, you took advantage of it, which a lot of people, again, don't like, it's it's years and years um, of down the the wrong path. What what do you think led to that in the first place? So run us through a little bit of okay, you got to thirty seven, and then like the wheels start falling off on the toy car. Like what what in your life was going on that kind of led to that point? Man, that's a really good qu- fuck. That's a good question. So. I, I would sit around and ask myself all the time, how the fuck did I get here? When you were talking about earlier, it was like having that ego death and like a financial and like a career cosmic ego death of being, okay, we got to start over and reset. I'm gonna have to do some shit I don't want to do for a little while. So I just stabilize, you know, you get into like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, you know, it's like, let's just worry about shelter and safety. Then we'll, we'll pull up. So uh, once you start going through that, you start really thinking about like, how the fuck did I get here? Like, how'd this happen? This is pathetic. And so... I think for me, a really big thing that was, I think I was trying to live my life to make my family happy and proud Mm. instead of doing what I really wanted to do. And I think a lot of that was like, my family means well, they're very open-minded. They're like, I'm so blessed. I was raised in San Francisco. They're, my family's not like a bunch of boaters. You know what I mean? They're like, they want what's what's best, usually what people think is what's best isn't Facts. Usually what's best. 100%. And they just do it because they love us and they care about us. And so I think for a lot of time, you know, my brother was like, come back and join the family business again. It's like, that was a terrible idea. We tried that. It didn't work then. Why would it work again? Horrible idea. Part one. Part two is, you know, my brother was suffering from severe mental illness and addiction, which I kind of knew about and saw it transform. And everyone in my family was like, just in denial. And so when I tried to explain that to them, I was like, listen, we got to help this dude it became this thing where they're like, you know what? I think you're just jumping the gun here. And I was like, it's like being in a room and screaming and no one listening to you. It's very frustrating. But, um, you know, and so he was like my landlord. He was my employer. He was my brother. And because I saw him going down the rails, I was like, bro, we got to get you some help. And so that didn't help my situation, right? And then when I was living in Austin, before I moved to San Francisco for three months, I was like bartending and I was chasing girls around. And I probably could have been more prudent about how I saved my money. You know, I was living in a badass luxury apartment on the water. I mean, it was like, it was an amazing place at the time of my life. 
it was really the short answer is it was a consecutive it was like a bunch of consistent shitty decisions that i made and like not saving enough money bartending terrible idea that's like you know me now that's not a good fit for me and so uh you know i was bartending and then it was like you know deciding to move home i was fucking stupid and then you know giving away all my furniture because I had all this furniture in this badass bro pad. And then, like, I was just like, I'm never coming back later. Yeah, you had assets. And then, I, and then I came back and I was like, fuck. And I've even had friends, like, I've had some friends give me some shit back. I never asked for it ever. Because I, I was like, yo, I get, like, I had a friend who was like, yo, man, I, I don't think I give you that thing back. I'm like, listen, I gave it to you, serious. I don't want it back. Honestly, this is a reminder of my old life. There's like, you know, <laughs> so um, just like that was a bad move. Like, I really didn't, like, I should have thought there was a contingency that I might be back. But it was just a consistent, amount of very poorly tracked decisions that all kind of culminated into one fucking point and i can tell you that i never saw myself doing that so for all the other people out there like you know i I dated a girl once last year and she's you know 24 and she's like i don't understand how you could be 37 and and be that fucked up i'm like trust me when i graduated from college i didn't plan it like that i didn't like think to myself like yeah i'm gonna really fucking get off the rails when I'm 37 just for nothing and try to build it back up again. It just kind of like happens and it creeps up on you because life is really complicated. It's very unpredictable. And I think I was, you know, it was a poor lifestyle, not sleeping well, drinking a lot, poor nutrition, a combination of these things that were like thrown off my vibe check, I believe didn't give me the tools I needed to make the best decisions for myself. So to answer your question, how I got in there, my brother was like, come home, work with the family business, get your real estate license. And I, I did all that shit. I got my real estate license here. And yeah, I was you weren't in control. That's like, oh. when I think about this, like you weren't in control of your own life because of little, essentially the way that I kind of look at it from the outside is you start making little decisions and, and this can happen to the best of us is like, we make little decisions and you, you don't know if they're right or wrong until like, down the line, right? So you you were making decisions and in your head, like your confidence kind of goes down because obviously those decisions aren't panning out the way that you wanted to. So you start taking in other people's advice. And this is what I, like, I became an engineer. Like there's th- things in my life that like, I don't, if I had full control over what I was doing, I don't know if I would have done it. That's what it reminds me of is just like you were making some decisions and also the pressure, I think, that's that's kind of like what I'm hearing is, because you have a family and because you have a tight knit group and like there's pressure to be a certain way and achieve a certain thing where at the end of the day, like we were talking about this before the podcast, like, dude, all I need is a place to sleep, my car, things that I love to work on and like clothes on my back and like, and good people. And like, that's all I need. I don't need more than what I have now. So anything that becomes a surplus after this is just cherry on top versus prior to all this, I know what it's like to feel like oh, we have to live up to some certain expectation and have the job and the car and the house and all these different things that at the end of the day don't really matter. So that pressure and then on top of making a couple of decisions that don't pan out, then opens up the doorway to start, I would say, taking in other people's, like basically living a life that other people want you to live rather than your own life. Now, where does veganism play into all this? Well, so I'd been, uh, I've been like mostly plant-based since I was like 30, right? And so that was like since 2010. I had some hiccups along the way, but I was like mostly plant-based. But after I got out of that whirlwind and I was like super, I was like really, 
See, the problem is with being broke, it's like the cycle of poverty and the more desperate you become, the more fucked up decisions you make and it, be it becomes this like vortex that becomes harder and harder to get out of. So an example is like, I might pick up a shitty job that pays a hundred bucks a day, but then get two parking tickets for 40 bucks each because I couldn't leave the job to go basically like fill my meter or whatever. So when that started happening and I started working with uh, Jason Sabala uh, at the Buzz Mill down in San Marcos, he really recognized my passion for plant-based. And I was like, bro, we have to like we can do this here. Like, this is the perfect place. And so we started experimenting with a lot of like plant-based foods and we started making, he allowed me to make half the kitchen plant-based. He really gave me that sort of like Petri dish to really try this out and it hit. And I was like, this is great. I mean, cause it's, I'm already living this lifestyle. So it's like, I bet there's other people like me out there who really miss meat and still want the taste and the texture and the culture of like meat things, but maybe they'd be willing to make some other considerations if it doesn't taste like a cardboard slipper. And so that's pretty much like Jay, he gave me that chance to do that. And so we did it. And then all the plant-based shit started outselling the meat shit. It was like this really cool thing. We were like, Hmm, this is very interesting. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Isaac. I hope you're loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Isaac Moganum. That's kind of where it started on the professional realm. It started at Buzzmill, um, San Marcos, because, you know, Jason... And for those that don't know... Jason. Um, so I've mentioned Squatch Frontier Fitness. He's the owner of that. And then he also runs Buzzmill. Can you give just like a, a 30 second synopsis of like what is Buzzmill and the locations they have and things like that? 100%. Buzzmill is basically almost like this community fort that's really built on, you know, cultivating community through, you know, the arts. And obviously they have, well, maybe not so obvious. They have a coffee bar, they have a beer bar, they have infused liquors. They have we have three plant-based food trucks that Jason's a business partner of mine on those uh, food trucks. It's really a place where anyone and everyone can feel included. It's really this beacon of inclusivity and community. And I know a lot of brands try to be all about that, like that's like the hot word right now. But once you go to the buzz mill and you set foot and you hang out, you're like, oh, this is the real fucking deal. This isn't the bullshit. This isn't like. What are, the, what are the young cats calling now? Virtue signaling and all that, <laughs> all that greenwashing yeah. and all these like new millennial words everybody's they, using. They post it just to post it rather than live it. 100%. You go to the buzz mill, you hang out there for a night and you're like, this is fucking cool. So, um, you know, he was, he was sort of like, you know, once, once that went down, I ended up leaving 
Buzzmill San Marcos was like, bro, I, after six months, I was like, hey, I love you. I'm thankful for the opportunity. I need to make a little more scratch. And so I started working at the JW and um, I got into working with Impossible Foods for a little bit. But the short end of it is I really wanted to open a plant-based burger concept in Austin. Jason helped me pitch it to a couple of really well-known bar owners in town that I won't name. But they all thought it was a cool and a cute idea, but they're like, you should do that and serve meat too. And I think Jason, God bless his heart. I think he just got so sick and tired of me like talking about it and demoing it. He was just like, you know what? Put that shit at the buzz mill. Let's go partners. And I was like, sure. <laughs> and so uh, it ended up hitting. And that's how we really got into, I mean, we opened that business where I don't think I had more than like a hundred dollars in my bank account. Man. I'm not even making that up. Like we literally, we bootstrapped that shit like from nothing. And at the time, Mind you, he had just closed San Marcos. Like he was in a very vulnerable financial position as well. So we both, we just roughed it up, man. And we, we didn't have a sign. We just fucking go. Heck yeah. And so that's, I think, what, where me and Jason, where we work well together is like, we both like to just jump off the cliff and figure out how to like fly the plane on the way down. Makes so, it fun. Yeah. Our third business partner doesn't really like that, but he's getting used to it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's funny because that's how I am. And like Aaron, my wife is, is the opposite of that. Um, sure. so we even each other out, but I'm, I'm very much the jump it and jump first and then build the parachute. It's, it just makes life more fulfilling. It's thrilling. Um, you gotta be careful, but that's why you have advisors and third business partners. But even beyond the business side, what started this passion for veganism in the first place? Cause you mentioned 2010, you're 30. What was going on then that kind of inspired you to live more of a plant-based life? Well, I think I'd truth be told, like, I think I've always had like a little bit of a fire. It's like, I've always had some compassion for animals from day one. I've always been a very animal advocate. Well, I thought I was, I guess I was a pet advocate, not an animal advocate, <laughs> but we had seven gourmet burger restaurants at the time. And I, I know you've heard this story before, but I'll, I'll share a short version of it. They were selling us like all this ethically sourced sustainable meat. And so I was kind of like, well, how the fuck do we know? What if they're serving us fucking kangaroo grown in caves? Like, we don't know. And so I ended up booking a tour with a very well-respected company that does this nationwide right now. And they did the full tour with us. And even at like the, the most respected, ethically accepted level, I was just like, man, this is, it just hit me in some weird way where I was like, I don't want to be part of this no more. Like, I just don't. Like, I love, to be clear, by the way, I fucking love meat. I love the taste of meat. I love the tradition of meat. I love the texture of meat. And if I still walk by a barbecue pit, I still salivate. Like that's never going to go away because that's just my nature and who I am. But it got to a point where I was like, I don't like this. And I think maybe my ethical and my moral code was changing. And so I was like, you know what? I could either bitch about it or I could continue eating meat and feeling like a conflicted poser. Or I could try to actually align my values and my with my actions, right? Like it's just hard to do, especially when you love the taste of mac and cheese and brisket. I mean, it's fucking delicious. So that was like a really hard thing for me, to be clear. Like some people, they watch some PETA video and they're 14 and they're like, ah, and they go vegan overnight. That wasn't me. Like for me, it was like this long, slow, fucked up psychosodomy burn of like three or four years where it was like, I was fighting my culture. I was fighting like traditions. I was fighting friends and family until I just got to the point where I was like, I don't want to have to have this extra stress in my head no more. It's just easier not to eat the shit. I don't want to keep fighting it because I'll keep fighting it forever. And so that's that kind of happened after we did these tours of these like farms and slaughterhouses. Like think, think of that word, slaughterhouse, right? 
I don't know how you ethically slaughter something, but um, it really opened my eyes to seeing some crazy shit. You know, like seeing a, a chicken go from alive to like a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's package in like 38 minutes. Fascinating on the side of like the human agricultural experience, but also just like, damn, how the fuck did we get here? So that was like my awakening. Let's call it that. Yeah, that's, I feel like that could change a lot of people's lives. Um, one of the things, because I still eat meat, but I am heavily plant-based typically. And one of the things that I started thinking about is like, how do we, get, you're asking the question, how do we get here? One of the problems I think we have in a society today, and this goes beyond just agriculture and what we eat. It's the whole, like, like I was in Vegas for bachelor party leading up to this past weekend. And you can literally on your phone, get marijuana and alcohol sent to your doorstep now, <laughs> like it's through a phone app, right? Amazing. And then <laughs> you can also get whatever fried foods and whatever you're ordering on Uber Eats to you. We're so disconnected from reality of how this stuff is even getting to you or what's in this stuff. And then we're just in, ingesting it into our body without knowing like really anything that's going on, right? Versus if you looked 100, 200, 300 years ago, what they were eating was in their backyard. Like they were the ones that were either growing it or killing it. And you're, you see what you're investing in or what's happening. And you're talking about morals and ethical. And it's just like, I think that's why people, the whole like praying for food, like I'm not, I'm not religious for those out there, but if you were to like kill something, you're probably going to be more likely to pray for that thing because you just took its life to give yourself more life. And uh, even from the plant side of things as well, mm -hmm. um, because technically plants are alive too. And that's where I just think we've lost as a society. We're just dis so disconnected from everything. For sure. And just to, to build on what you said, we're not just disconnected, but now we're being indoctrinated because I think one big problem in society is like, we all think we eat like wild elk that's harvested by bow and arrow like Joe Rogan. Everyone feels that way, but the reality is like literally less than 1% of people have the privilege to eat that way. If we all ate that way, the world would be like a better place. Fuck, okay, take animal ethics, fuck animal ethics. Fuck animals, they can eat a dick. Let's throw that out the window. <laughs> you know, let's just go with like the environmental impact, right? So a lot of people don't understand. They'll literally come outside and they're like, be like you can't water your lawn it's tuesday we're supposed to be rationing it's like motherfucker you had steak on the grill like so and how much water did it take to to probably about 3500 gallons a pound yeah and so for so and i you know we, i don't guilt or vilify like i don't operate like that that's just like me speaking in my head but um i think when you said something about people disconnected i think not only are we disconnected but we're indoctrinated and i'm not here to tell the world to go vegan although you should consider it but uh <laughs> I'm not here to like guilt or vilify or convert everyone. I just think like it'd be really, it, it's really good for us to really understand like where our food comes from and then to make really good decisions. Like if you're gonna have like a great piece of meat, like, and if you're going to do that, there's so many amazing farmers really close to Austin within 40, 50 miles that are small time farmers who do CSA programs. I mean, that alone has a huge, forget, like I said, forget the animal welfare shit, but that has a huge impact on like environment. Like these animals aren't being dri driven like for hundreds of miles. My whole point is, is I don't think people know enough or they don't want yeah, There's to not enough information. And Correct. that's, that's where I love chatting with you because I find myself a lot in the middle, uh, in, in this discussion, because due to like my health, a lot of the plant-based stuff have additives that fuck with my stomach. And sure. if I'm not operating at hundred percent, I can't do anything. So it's just like, okay, I feel conflicted where I would love to 
eat more plants and stuff like that. So I started doing that. But the difference for me is I actually have friends that are on both sides where like we have a farmer's market, right? You can tell the difference in the egg yolk. If I go to the farmer's market and I get chicken eggs, I can tell the difference in color. And if I go to Whole Foods and just get what is supposedly organic eggs. And yeah, yeah. it's exactly right. So people now think they go to Whole Foods and think they're eating healthier foods and stuff like that. And we have a buddy here in town, uh, Nurse Doza from MSW Lounge, that we have blood work that proves that Whole Foods food doesn't do jack shit compared to like even like Wheatsville's, like that's where I kind of go because they're, they're sourcing from locally. But what Isaac is talking about is, and this is why I love this podcast, is to get people to understand like what you really think is healthy, a lot of people is still not really that healthy because you are what your food eats. And that's what most people don't realize. So the big thing with meat is what is that meat eating? Is it eating soy and corn and uh, sugars or is it eating its natural diet? So if you're a chicken, are you eating bugs and worms and things like that? Or are you eating the alternative, which is corn to fatten them up? And I didn't want to go in the weeds here, but just for people to understand, like, that's the difference. Like, no, the average person does not think the chicken that I'm eating, what did that chicken eat? And well, then yeah. in turn, the plants, this is another huge topic, um, which is, I'd love to pick your brain on, like, how do you go about sourcing different vegetables and stuff like that? Because plants with fertilizers and the soil is what we're really finding is, like, really sure. fucked up. Um, the plants, where's that, where are they being planted? What soil are they, are they growing in? So- I love to just hear like what you think is because you're a realist like I am. Like nobody can go all carnivore, all vegan overnight. Like the world would just be destroyed. So, in kind of like a petri dish environment where you got more people to eat plant based foods and learn more about learn more about the sustainable side of that, what would be the path to getting that to happen? Well, let me just preface this by saying nobody is 100% vegan. It does not exist. We're all just trying to get as close to the diminishing point as possible, right? So no, there's no there's no such thing as 100% vegan or 100% anything. But I mean, the real, the short answer is like, I've asked myself that question. And that's why I've like got this amazing yard now where I'm trying to grow my own food. And I call it the freedom garden because obviously like my baseline belief is like, look, I don't care where you get your plants as long as you're eating more of it and to the best that you can control, like, I think that's a huge win for like health, society, animals, environment. But to really like, sometimes when I really get deeper, it's like, I don't know, is eating asparagus from fucking, I don't know, like Paraguay any better for me? Like, I don't know. There's like, there's still a lot of, you know, it's got to go on a plane. It's got to go on a train. It's got to get moved. So more recently, I've, I've really taken on uh, trying to grow my own food. And so I have a giant garden right now where, I mean, we're straight growing some crazy shit right now. You're going to be seeing a lot of tomatoes from me. Let's put it that way. So I'm trying to figure out how to answer that question. And I think a lot of it is growing the food yourself, working to the best you can with like local producers that can be trusted. There's a lot of them here in Texas. And I think I'm not like a scientist, but I know like with the soil and the microbiome, all that shit affects our digestive gut bacteria, like what's in the ambient airspace. That's all really important. So for eating all sorts of fruits and vegetables from the other part of the world, it's like, yeah, I guess that's like kind of better than slaying some animal yeah I, I get that but is like i think we can do better than that like you said and so it's hard there's like you know the clean 15 and the dirty dozen that's like a really good baseline for people to start with what is that the clean 15 is something that's updated annually it's basically a list of the top 15 clean conventional fruits and vegetables that are considered generally safe to eat for free from pesticides and all that shit and then the dirty dozen is usually like 
the 12 items that you definitely want to make sure you get organic to the best of your ability. That includes like, you know, strawberries and shit like that. And so that's like a really good baseline for people to start to answer your question. And then the next thing is try growing your own food. I highly suggest Ron Finley's masterclass. It's a great one. It's been really instrumental for myself. Austin thankfully has such an incredible amount of like resources, water and heat that make it really easy to grow a lot of cool shit, which I'm still learning by the way. And I think, like you said, just being, if you're at the point where you're cognizant and already asking those questions, you can go to like Wheatsville, you can go to even Whole Foods downtown and try to make really local choices. Like we have great grapefruit here. It's local. It's not really organic, but it doesn't matter. It's got appeal. It's in a good spot. It tastes great. I mean, there's nothing like a Texas pink grapefruit, a ruby red. It's amazing. And so um, I think that's just my suggestion on how you do that because the reality is, you can't really grow shit here in the dead of summer. Very few things, right? So we, you know, we have a system in this country, in the world, where we exchange certain regional goods and services for other regional goods and services. So, you know, some asshole in Manhattan can have a six dollar avocado. Like that's just how it works. And <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, the whole thing is like, there's no perfection here. It's all just about progress. Don't ever let anyone guilt or vilify you. Like we're all just trying our best. We're all just learning. And these are all great questions, but I think those are like three or four ways you start with getting like the best produce that you can afford that fits your lifestyle. That's healthy for you. I love that. Just get started. Like that, that's it. The, the easiest way to start is to figure out what is the minimum viable starting point for you. So whether that's yeah. just like going to the grocery store and just buying more vegetables than you normally buy. Fact. Start there. Or if it's somebody that, uh, you've been buying vegetables for a long time and you want to get like, you're like me, like I, my mom, I don't know what they're called, but the next step for me now that I have a house is we used to grow eggplant, zucchini, squash, strawberries, blueberries, all that stuff from our backyard. And that's, that was what I was first introduced to like, wow, this tastes way better, like right from for sure. the backyard. Right. And she has these like pods They they sit off, like, so you can grow on concrete, essentially mm -hmm. you would like grow them in these pods. Um, and that's where a lot of people just don't understand that like you don't need to have a yard, you don't need to have to start getting in involved in that and learning how to do it. And it's something that it's been on my mind. So I got to, is your garden at your house? It is. It's at my house and uh, it's in like in my Instagram feed. I have, you know, like a, a highlight called the Freedom Garden. And I mean, I bought like raised beds that you could add them custom made on Facebook for dirt cheap, but you can literally grow food anywhere. That's why I think Ron Finley's masterclass is really valuable. And I'm, like I said, if you're really interested, I'm happy to have you, you know, use my masterclass and check it out. Hell but, yeah. um, that's like, I mean, I call it the freedom garden because it goes back to what you said. Like, how do we, you know, really source our vegetables? I think a big part of it is really learning to grow the shit ourselves because the soil has, you know, they're saying 50 to hundred years. Let's say the soil has 200 years. Like we got to learn how to grow our own shit, man. At some point. And more importantly, the reason we have to learn and, Really, it's relearning because our parents' parents' parents, they were growing shit, right? Yeah. We forgot. Like, we already knew this. It's, in, it's embedded in our literally DNA. Sure. We were put on earth to, to, to do this, and we've gotten rid of it. That's where the whole, I was saying that, the phone app thing, where it's just like technology is taking that away from us. But I think it's going to be really advantageous for us to learn because it's going to be really important for our kids. Because the way that I think about it is like you said, we have 100, 200 years of soil left, right? Well, if those kids have never touched soil or played in soil, how are they going to make a better solution? They're not. Like the way that 
the world works is the people that change the world are on the ground and understand like what's going on. Like you under, you understood if we bring plant-based to people, like it's probably going to hit at some point, right? Because pe- the, the customer wants it. But if you weren't plant-based yourself, how the hell are you going to sell plant-based stuff? Right. You don't, you don't truly know unless you have touched it. And that's where I think if myself, one of the things that I've thought about is if I learn how to grow food and I teach my kids how to grow food, it's a way different lifestyle than what we're actually doing right now for the world. They're literally, the kids are growing up on an iPad where the mom and dad just gives a credit card and is like, order whatever you want off there comes to their front doorstep and they have no idea what the hell they're putting in there in their body yeah well i mean that's the problem is we're a, we're a tribe of hunters and gatherers and we ain't fucking hunting and we're not gathering so like on the meat side it's like if you love meat, like great i love meat too but growing a bunch of animals in like a giant enclosed warehouse in the middle of fucking iowa like that's just nasty to me even yeah. if i was eating meat like but you know if you want bacon at 99 cents a pound that's the price and it's really detrimental to the environment. And on the same side with plants, if we're eating a bunch of plants that are overly sprayed with pesticides, like that's not really great either. So it's like really trying to find out how we get back to that hunt, like hunting and gathering mentality as a people, really connecting with our traditions and then trying to learn it to the point where we can almost self-sustain ourselves. Because think about it, if you and your wife grew like, you could grow chickens, you know, you could use their fecal matter to use it in like the, you know, to build nitrogen and replenish the soil. You can have almost like, I don't want to say a permaculture system, but if your yard is big enough, you can have this like beautiful harmony going in your yard where you have, you know, like. And that's the future. Yeah, the yeah, si- I mean, that's yeah exactly. what I want. Pretty much. And so, and there's no reason why we can't do that. We have access to everything And I love, online. I love how you said, uh, not, not perfection, but progress, because like in my head, I'm just like, I feel like I can be hard on myself. It's just like, I want that shit now. Like I want yeah. the yard now, which I don't have a big enough yard for that. So it's just like the progress for me is like baby steps. And that's where I want to tell other people where, where I was mentioning, like, just go to the grocery store next time and just like pick up one or two things to add and then one or two things to drop. And I've been doing that year over year. And it's something that I think is is super wise of you to say, but I'd love to switch this up a little bit um, and give you a chance to kind of talk about everything that you're up to and been up to here in Austin. Uh, First question I have, because I actually don't know, is where did the hell did plant-based hacker come from? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I uh, I think originally when I was on Instagram and sort of like my infancy of like being on there, like my name's boring. Like no, nobody gives a fuck about my name. So I really wanted an Instagram handle that could connect with people who really loved like the crossover gateway types of plant-based foods that I used to cook, you know, that I've made for myself. Or I was like, so you mentioned crossover gateway. What do you mean by that? Crossover gateway plant-based foods. Like let's call it vegan comfort food, right? It's like crossover food. That's like, it's the exact opposite of like steamed veggies and like a bowl of rice or a Buddha bowl. Like that shit's cool and all, and you should definitely consider eating that. But that's just not where I wanted to focus my energy because I wanted to reach the masses. I wanted to reach the blue collar bros who love fucking sports and crushing beers and doing beer funnels. I wanted them to be able to have this experience where they could connect with plant-based foods that looked, felt, tasted, and emulated what they were used to in their conventional space as long as they're mentally open. And for me, the word plant-based hacking truly defined what I was doing. I was just taking shit I loved and I was like, how can I hack this to make it plant-based and look, feel, and taste the same? And I didn't want the word vegan in my name because, you know, it's not a secret. I'm, I am vegan, but I'm not a huge fan of, of like typical vegan culture. Let's just say <laughs> that. This, this, I'm very public about that. And so um, I didn't want that in the name. So I was like, you know what? That's what I do. I, I, I plant-based hack shit. And I feel like a lot of people are able to connect with that. Because some people will see vegan in a name. They're like, I don't want to follow that shit. Fuck that. And I get it. Like I do. So 
that was born. And once I did that, I started, I didn't know nothing about Instagram. Once I did that, I started generating content. Like I started, you know, getting followers and people who like, were like, I love what you do, man. Like I love me, but trying to be better with my wife and kids. It inspired me. I was like, oh, I'm not alone. Cool. There's other people like me who want the same shit. It's tight. And that's how that happened. What year did you start Instagram? Man, I started Instagram probably like seven or eight years ago, but plant-based hacker didn't really happen until I think after we opened Plowburger, actually. I didn't know what I was doing on Instagram. I was like taking pictures of me and my ex-girlfriend and my dog, like boring shit. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. So once I really started to understand, like I was like, I was kind of like a late adopter, you know, I was like really trying, I started figuring out how Instagram works, how it can create value for my business, but more than anything, how it could help me reach other people who were really interested in the shit we were doing and help me learn from others, right? So once I learned that, I was like, okay, this whole like Isaac Moganum shit is worthless. Get this shit out of here. Plant-based hacker was like the brand. And then I was just like, I'm only going to showcase like vegan bro comfort food. And that's, it's that's still true today for the most part, by the way. So when you're, when you're thinking about like starting with this food, what was your experience with food in general? So you you've been working with food for a while, but like, were you ever a chef? Were you ever like, no. how did you know how to do all this stuff? And the reason I'm, I'm asking you this is because I know the, I know the answer but a lot of people, they let their degrees or certificates or what things they have to do before they can actually do the thing get in the way. And you're a great example of like, just do the thing. I think uh, you can't let the perfection be the evil of the good, right? And so I'm not, I don't consider myself a chef at all by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know shit really about cooking, but I think I've spent enough time in kitchens, enough time around food and like our family businesses where I've been able to learn the basics and... I've become an expert in the types of food I like to serve. You know, I couldn't tell you the difference between like, I couldn't tell you like the five mother sauces. Not only do I not know, I think I know three of them, but not only do I not know, but I don't give a fuck. I don't want to learn. I don't care. And most of the people we hire straight out of culinary school, no offense to anyone who's in culinary school, most of them are, I've wasted their money. Very few people really come out of there with the right mindset. And so I just started going for it. I was like, fuck it. Cause once you, once you get to rock bottom, you're like, whatever. I don't, you don't, you just stop. It's just like, I think not giving a fuck and like caring about the things that are important and not giving a fuck about the other things is like a very liberating experience and it allows you to just be creative and go for it. And so I had a lot of support from like my dad, from Jason, all these people like, just go for it, bro. Let's just do this. And yeah, that's like, I think that's a huge part of it is just being able to, I made a lot of mistakes in the kitchen. I, I think that's you know? what it, So I love that you said that word. I think being able to, I, I read something earlier today where a baby falls like on average six hours a day. Like if they're, if they're like walking and they're trying to walk, like they're literally like falling half the day. Like if you let a like toddler walk, like every five steps, just falling, 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 falling. Right. And then they just get better and better and better. But yeah. as adults, like we never allow that fall phase as a kid, you spend so much time failing all the time and that's how you start getting better at things. Uh, and I'm doing failing in quotations here because you're not really failing. You're just doing something, getting basically feedback, and then now you can do it a little bit better. Um, sure. Failing is really like doing something and then stopping it and giving up. But if you kind of jump into the arena, then you can get that feedback and start pivoting and, and doing better. What have been some of the the biggest struggles you've had since like opening plant-based product businesses and services? That's a really good question. I mean, obviously, like starting a new business is full of struggle. Like a really big one over time is putting together the right team 
I think that's really important because like I didn't make it myself. Like very few people are self-made in this world and it's really hard to make it without people you can rely on, but also being able to build a team you can trust. And that's definitely, I think, I don't want to call it the Achilles heel of most successful businesses, but it's really hard. You know, like we have a, you know, Jason and I have this thing where it's like hire hard, manage easy. And it's really, really hard to find not just good people. Cause like almost anyone's perfectly qualified to like flip a burger for $25 an hour, but it's really trying to find people who are like purpose and passion driven and aligned like where we're certainly aligned like they don't have to be vegan but they have to be people who love the food we're making they're excited about it they like the positive impact on the world that is like one of long by long and far probably our biggest struggle since day one and once you find those people and you bring them on like how do you keep them how do you keep them motivated how do you make them feel safe how do you make them feel supported how do you make them feel like you can help them in their dream because their dream might be like look i want to open a fucking art gallery great how can we help you do you want to throw a show hit the buzz mills like where where can we support you and so i think that's like a huge struggle and i think the other struggle is just getting over the you know like in the beginning you're kind of scared to fail because everyone's watching you then you just get it's like fuck it whatever some shit doesn't work out like whatever it's just mm. the way it is and so you get over that move on i love both of those pieces it's like it's kind of reminds me of never forget where you were at one point. And I think that with you and Jason, that's like, you, you know, you know what it's like to, to be the beginner, to be the guy that's the idea guy and you have nothing to your name, but you have these ideas that you want to try. So you bring in these people that you allow them to try out their ideas. And I love that. It's something that I try to do as well. Cause I know what it's like to kind of have it all and like have the job and the degree and whatever, but have nothing at the same time because it wasn't what I wanted. So I just needed a shot in a different arena and, people were willing to give that to me. So I never forget that. And I want to do that for other people. It's one of the reasons that inspired this podcast was I don't give a shit about how many followers you have or whatever. I just want to talk to cool people and like give them a platform to share their ideas and their thoughts and maybe they connect with somebody. Um, but that second part is really intriguing because in my mind, when it comes to like what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go and impact the world, one of the things that becomes the, the biggest impeder of that is letting go of things that aren't working. Because when you're trying to change the world and you're, you have all these ideas and all these things that you're, you're trying to go after, they become like your babies. And to let go of your baby, nobody wants to do that, right? Um, but there's this book, Essentialism. You should definitely listen to it. It's really helpful. It basically talks about like, the people that are so successful are actually really good at picking something up, realizing that it's not going to work faster than other people who it takes five years and then the business goes down and goes out because they, they got to year two and they kind of had this feeling, but then they went another three years because like, ah, oh, I already spent two years. And it kind of reminds me of the position I'm in with this space. It's just like, I got this space prior to COVID thinking it was going to be something way different than what has become. I could attach to it and just be like, I got to make it what it, it's worth, or I can let it go and move on. And that's what I've done. I've gotten another new, a new spot that I'm partnering with my buddy Noah on. But if I would just strangle this, it would actually make things worse. Whole reason I'm at going down this rabbit hole is what has given you that ability to practically be able to say, you know what, this is just not working. I need to move on to the next thing. 
I think honestly the answer is you just fuck up enough and you've seen enough of it where you're like, you know what, we made we held on to we held on to that way longer than we should have. Whatever it is. It might be a menu item, it might be a person, it might be a strategy. I mean, we went to Kitchen United. It was a great place. They had they had a great offering, like our brand for whatever reason, like didn't it was okay there, but we felt like we could reach more people from a trailer. It was incredible because it helped us launch Lopan's Kitchen, which is like a beautiful brand that we have that we love. But you know, we lasted there six months. That was our lease. And we were like, you know what? We could reach more people. We could have stayed there. And like you said, strangled it, choked it out and made it work for us. But we we're like, you know what? Let's, let's, let's just move everything to a new trailer. And so we did. And so I don't know, sometimes like you just have to accept some costs. I think the hallmark of a good leader, I really do believe this is like, I don't want to say you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, but you just got to know when like some things are just worth letting go. And it's like, if you lost 20 grand or 50 grand, like, fuck it, let it be because then you can take that energy and put it in somewhere else and maybe like hit a new star instead of trying to like desperately hang on to make it right for your ego or for whatever. Like, let that shit go if it's not working. I love it. Before we get to wrapping up, how many brands and food trucks or businesses are under the portfolio now? Shit, I don't, let me think about this. I think six. So we have a, uh, we have a plow burger, obviously, at the Buzz Mill. We have one in Hyde Park. We have one at South First in Dittmar. So there's three plow burgers. We have a Mission Street Burrito at Buzz Mill. We have a Lopan's Kitchen at Buzz Mill. That's five. And then we have Brunch Bird, which is a brick-and-mortar kitchen takeover at River City Market in South Congress. That's like the sort of like glamorous, super fun. So it's like, you know, it's brunch and bubbles, man. It's fun. And so I guess that's the total of six. Each one of them kind of started because... Me and Jason and Andre, for the most part, we'd be hanging around and we'd be like, we can't get this in this town. Cool. Let's make it. And then I start making it in my kitchen, which we called the lab. And, you know, we have another pop-up brand called uh, Lab Hours, which I do with a good friend of mine, Mike Limongelli. And that's like my own personal creative space to make whatever the fuck I want when I want. And it's just like my own. It's almost like an outdoor supper club. And so that's really cool. And Obviously, I have like a personal brand that I'm working on, which the whole goal is to really create a resource for anyone and anyone worldwide to just have one citadel where they could go online and get any and all information they need about cooking some bomb ass shit where it's like really easy, not like 55 ingredient Gordon Ramsay shit, but just keeping it like really fun and easy where you got at home, you could be like, I want to make some vegan gluten free mac and cheese. I'd have a recipe and a video for that. Heck yeah. You know, so that's, I guess we have like, you know, that's kind of what we have in our in our weird basket of shit right now. That's dope. And I look forward to, uh, to seeing that and pushing it out. We were chatting before and uh, finding ways that I can help make that happen because that's kind of in my wheelhouse. But we're getting close to wrapping up here. And one of the questions I always ask uh, towards the end is there's people out there that are listening and uh, probably have some questions. What type of person, where are they at in their life? Who should be reaching out to you? I think anybody who is really interested in plant-based food, food trailers, or just really trying to figure out what your you know passion and purpose is. For anyone out there, I mean, it took me 37 years to find what my calling was. And I feel like that's kind of early and I got lucky. So never ever stop trying things and really figuring out what your calling is that you could be good at, that you can like charge for, right? Especially if it solves a community problem. So Anyone who wants to be better, anyone who wants to start their own business, anyone who might, you know, be intrigued by like the food business, food trailers, or just sort of Austin's food scene at large. If you have any questions, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. Um, I really am here to help. And 
I mean, why the fuck not? What's the whole point of this journey? How do they re- get in contact with you? What's the best, best way, way to reach out to me? Honestly, Instagram is a great way. Plant-based hacker, all one word. That's probably the best way to reach out to me. And I'm available for that anytime. Or they can email me, which is my name, Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, at plantsleadourway.com. That's what PLOW stands for, Plants Lead Our Way. And uh, really, I'm happy to to work with anyone. And you know, I don't know everything. In fact, I really don't know much of anything, but I'll try to answer anything I can. And if I don't know something, I'll point you in the right direction where someone who knows more than me will be able to answer it. (laughs) I love that response. And last question that I ask everybody when they're on the podcast is, what does thriving mean to you? And you can take a couple seconds here because it's not always on the tip of the tongue, but yeah, what does thriving mean to you? I think uh, thriving for you know me personally, obviously, I can only see the world through my own lens, is being really healthy and happy. I think health and happiness is the true wealth and richness. And I know it's kind of like a cheesy, cheesy thing to say, but I've been really unhappy and I've been really unhealthy and I had a lot of money and it fucking sucked. You know, I was making lots of money. I was 260 pounds. I just, I wasn't thriving. So thriving to me is not directly correlated with your bank account. I think it's really thriving means knowing who you are, being able to help others in a healthy uh, space that's really surrounded by, you know, inclusion, community, and wellness. If you can do that in your personal space, I promise you it'll be part of your professional brand. You cannot separate them. And to me, that's the only way if we're going to thrive and grow and help others thrive, which I think is an important part of thriving, we have to be in like a really good space that's like mental, spiritual, physical, and also financial. But I really do feel no matter how you slice and dice it, they're fucking connected. Amazing response. And I love that too. I think ultimately focusing on your health breeds more happiness. And it's something that a lot of people, unfortunately in today's day and age, don't focus on. So I just want to say thank you again for hopping on here for a conversation. I loved it and looking forward to many more in the future. Um, but at the end of every episode, I kind of give my biggest takeaway. And today kind of happened towards the very end where you said a statement, leaders know when to hold them and when to fold them. And going back to the the book, Essentialism, I've, I've mentioned it here before, but I think you're, the way that you kind of go about life is realizing you're not afraid to to make mistakes and and let things go. And I think that is a, a super valuable trait that is, I think, underrated because mo- it's not flashy. Like doing things and then, failing at them and then letting them go, nobody really is going to remember that, right? Except for you. You remember the the ego remembers that. So if you're able to get past the ego and just continue to try new things, even when they don't work out, you finally are going to hit on something. And I think that's what, what you're kind of onto here with all the businesses that you're working on is just like, hey, if it's not here in the market, I'm going to try and see if I can solve the problem for myself and then solve it for other people. And if it doesn't solve it for other people, well, fuck it, at least I learned something and it was fun for myself, but then I'm going to move on to the next problem and try to solve that. So I love that. Uh, I love y'all. Thank you again for tuning in. Uh, Until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. 
When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.